Cincinnati jersey All on the block, we get it in I'm in my Cincinnati house, Cincinnati jersey Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, how's it going? Coomer, it's a great day to be a Bearcat basketball fan. You are goddamn right it is. Bearcats football team with the huge titanic victory over the Marshall football program. Uh, I don't appreciate they your use of the word titanic right there. Uh, that, that refers to a struggle. Um, so I was simply paying, I was simply paying my respects to the legend, Marty Brenneman, Cincinnati won 52, 14. Congratulations to the football team. We are going to cease our football talk. Now <laughs> the Hummer. team does not exist. We are in basketball land. Ladies and gentlemen, we and are that's one week out. We are less than one week out from the first Midnight Madness for the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program in damn near 15 years. John Brannon got the program buzzing, and I am ready to go over the roster. I think Bearcats, it's been a heck of an offseason. Bearcat fans are going to need a refresher on who's actually on this team. There have been departures. There have been additions. And there are still a remaining few returning players. Hubbard, do you have a, a few. you want to spare a few minutes here to go through the team and uh, talk about who's who? So you said a few returning players, though. It seems like we have more than a few, though. It's not many, and you will you'll come to find that out. I want to go through this. I want to break it down by guards, wings, and bigs. I'm not going to discern each individual position. The ba- game of basketball is changing, and this is how we now classify players. So to kick us off here, Hammer, here's here's our lineup of guards going into the 2019-2020 season. We've got Chris McNeil, Jaron Cumberland, Javin Cumberland, Micah Adams-Woods, and Trevor Moore. Our wings, we have Keith Williams, Zach Harvey, Jeremiah Davenport, and our bigs, Trey Scott, Mamadou Diara, Prince Toyambi, Jay Soroya, and Chris Vogt, and our walk-ons, Sam Martin, John Coos, and Rob Banks. Was now, Rob Banks is Rob Banks a walk-on? Are we positive about that? What do we know about the Igma that is Rob Banks? I don't know anything about Rob Banks. I've looked up where he's from. He was born in Sydney, Australia, but his hometown is listed as Maryland, London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's listed in, as being from London, and it's unclear if he's a scholarship player or a walk-on. His position is listed as F for forward. So I imagine on Midnight Madness, uh, October 4th, we're going to learn more about Rob Banks. But just to kind of get a quick rundown there of the lineup, it's pretty obvious that guards is where our strength lies, strength in numbers. We've got quite a few guards, several returning, and plenty of new faces there. What's your initial reaction when I read that lineup through to you? Well, first, first, what I, what I would like to do is you made a, made a comment about 
the game of basketball is changing. Positions are, for the most part, kind of fluid, if you would. So if you could, for our, our other listeners out there, and possibly myself, what do you define as the difference between a wing and a guard? So what I look at, my primary definition Definitely of guard versus me. wing. So guards are going to be more ball handlers. I look at guards as the players who we're going to rely on bringing the ball up. They'll be the primary handler in the half court in terms of breaking down the defense, defense and setting their teammates up. Wings can have that ability. You know, it's better if a wing like Keith Williams or Jeremiah Davenport or Zach Harvey has the ability to handle the ball. And the, the difference between guard and wing classification is probably pretty little at best. Hopefully all of those players that are classified as wings here have the ability to break down a defender, get in the lane, and set up teammates. Uh, but the primary difference, in my opinion, guards, more of a ball-handling responsibility, likely better shooters from the outside, and will play a bigger role in, in setting up their teammates. So... Knowing, knowing that, let's let's take a look at, I think one of the biggest things when we look at this roster, one of the most important things to take a look at is what did we lose from last year? Because a, a lot of people we've been talking to this week, listeners that we've been talking to have been saying, you know, we think you guys are being too overly optimistic on this team. There's some glaring holes. And one of those glaring holes we have is, they, in their opinion, is the guard position. So if we look at who we lost, we lost Justin Jennifer, we lost Kane Broom. Uh, two guys that were the guys that I guess you could say were true point guards in that sense. They're bringing the ball up the court. They're orchestrating the offense. Uh, I mean, they probably were essentially assuming ball handling responsibilities and point guard duties for roughly 40 minutes a game um, when, uh, when victory cigars were not needed. And that's a big loss, right? I mean, it seemed from the outside looking at it, it would appear to be a big loss. We'll talk more about exactly how, how we can replace their production later. But who else do we lose, Hummer? We lost Nasir Brooks, which in my eyes is probably the biggest loss that, that we actually had, especially because he wasn't a senior. We didn't lose him because he graduated. We lost him because he decided to enter the transfer protocol. Uh, big, big Portal. loss for the or protocol, transfer, whatever. It's all the same thing. We lost Rashawn Fredericks. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, you know, and then and then we lost uh, Kaseme. Uh, once again, you know, not not too worried about those two dudes. But Elios Kaseme, Rashawn Fred- Fredericks, yeah, neither was a, a key contributor on last year's team. But the last four, uh, and then Logan Johnson. So basically, the four tr- key, key contributors that we lost: Nasir Brooks, Justin Jennifer, Logan Johnson, Kane Broom. All four big contributors that we lost, but as we discuss, we'll discuss this later. But I think we did replace them in a meaningful way. A minus the big gaping hole, I think, in our lineup is Nasir Brooks with a big man. I agree. Nasir Brooks was definitely the the one I, I it pained me the most to see him leave to live a life of luxury on Miami Beach. Uh, I w- I do want to make mention we also lost Laquille Hardnet, who was redshirting last year. His departure made room for our final recruit of the 2019 season, which was Zach Harvey. I think most folks would agree that is a a good uh, swap for the program. But uh, top, it's a top it's, fifty top fifty recruit for. Uh, it's yeah. a lot of turnover, right? I mean, that is that's seven players leaving the program. We had another eight players join the program, which I'd like to go into more detail about. 
in, in following episodes. Um, it's, but it's a, it's a huge, and then you, you add to that, not just the turnover in the players, but we have a new coach as well. So maybe when, when folks say they think they're thinking we're being too optimistic, they're seeing that turnover and thinking, well, there's going to be a whole transition here with not only the players, but the coach himself. And with that's going to come a lot of growing pains and losses just based on lack of experience and, and cohesion and playing together. And there might be some truth in that, but I do think we have the talent that's necessary and the returning talent, especially. And I want to go to a detailed breakdown of who's coming back to the program, what they did last year, what they, and what they could potentially bring to the team under a John Brandon coached system in 2019 and 2020. While you made a great point, Hummer, of making mention of uh, listener feedback, saying that we're being far too optimistic in, in uh, predicting a 23 and seven or 25 and five record for the team in the coming season, I do think it requires some introspection on our side of things, and it led me to a few what I would call burning questions for the coming basketball season. Before we've watched any any shots any dribbles, any passes, any games, no midnight madness. We haven't seen anything from this team at this point. I've seen workout videos and I've seen tweets of excitement. And we've had um, what, like four, four press conferences from John Brandon. A few press conferences, uh, a lot of postseason or a lot of uh, offseason hype is what we've seen. Let's go through some burning questions and what I think are going to be the pivotal questions asked of this team. And if we have good answers for them, we're going to have a great year. And if we don't, it is the it is the kind of thing that can derail the team and cause us to have a a less than stellar season. My first question: What is the point guard outlook for this team? You mentioned it. We lost Kane Broom. We lost Justin Jennifer, our starting and backup point guards. How do we replace them? Well, we all know Jaron Cumberland probably is one name that comes to a lot of people's not minds. However, he didn't play three point guard last year. He did, you know, you mentioned it for they played for all of all basically all of 40 minutes. He maybe played two or three minutes a, a game at point guard. So Jaron Cumberland's probably not going to be that answer, but he could be. Uh, he's great, has great vision down the court. He has a great, great passing ability. But we have guys coming in that are supposed to be filling that role. One in particular that comes to my mind being Zach Harvey. And another one that that's kind of coming to mind here is Javon Javon. We don't we don't know what he's going to be bringing to this this team. Is he going to be just a another Kane Broom, or is he going to be more like a Tra- Trevor Moore type of guy, getting open looks, and and or is he going to be a facilitator? So, you know, from that standpoint, there's just a lot of a lot of things out there. Keith Williams gonna- is a guy that I want to keep an eye on. I'm going to push back and basically say that I agree with not any of the players you mentioned for replacing our point guards. Zach Harvey, from what we know about him, he's a scorer. Uh, he can make plays, but in most of the reviews you get about him as a player, he's more of a, when I, when I get the ball, it's about putting it in the bucket. It's not so much setting up teammates and running an offense. Javin, you get similar feedback. Uh, when he played at Oakland, it was more of a, uh, spot up, shoot threes, off ball type like Kemba, role. Kemba type guys out of these. Kemba, 
get no, to the whole Kemba, ball. Kemba, yeah, Kemba Walker was running the UConn offense. I mean, Kemba Walker was a true lead guard. The guys you're mentioning, they're not going to be playing that role for the Bearcats. We do have two guys we brought in, though, that should potentially fill that gap. One of them is Chris McNeil, a transfer who is now on, I think, his fifth college in as many years. Um, is that most a, recently, is that a good though, though, do we want most to get... recently he played in uh, the 2017, 2018 year at New Mexico. The and then we also we, we also brought in uh, a freshman from Western New York, Micah Adams Woods in the backyard of Syracuse is where he grew up. And he's a six, three guard who has combo guard type abilities, the ability to score and potentially the ability to run an offense. Given that he's a freshman, I'm, I'm less bullish on him playing a major role from well, the point guard that's, position. That's why I mentioned the other guys. that the, the guys that they're bringing in, they're new to the program. The guys that I'm mentioning, for, except for one, are more familiar with it and have the ability to do it. Where I do think a guy like Jaron Cumberland has the ability to do it while also being a scorer. I agree. Jaron Cumberland is probably the, is, is the best passer on this team. Uh, he has the ability of getting and penetrating the defense, kicking out to open shooters. His playmaking ability is by far the best on the team. It's likely not a role, though, John Brandon wants to, or a burden John Brandon wants to have Jaron Cumberland carry, which is that of primary ball handler responsibilities. It's a fatiguing role. It doesn't make sense for him to do that 30 minutes a game. Chris McNeil is the guy this is going to fall on. And to me, that that's asking a lot of a player who has played two seasons of college basketball and most recently in New Mexico. Really, I mean, honestly, in both years in college, he struggled shooting the ball. Uh, you've got a guy who shot 32 and 37%-ish his two college seasons, 28% from three and 31.5% from three. We don't have a great shooter there. It doesn't mean he won't have the ability of running the offense. I mean, Kane Broom, we know, had, had his struggle shooting the ball. And up until his final season, Justin Jennifer, you could say the same thing about him. But for a, for a coach who does like running and gunning, shooting three-pointers, playing a fast pace, there's going to be a lot asked of the transfer, Chris McNeil. Well, that's why I also think it's going to be a lot asked of Jaron Cumberland because I think there's a lot of other shooters on this team that are going to present opportunities for open shots. And with Jaron's ability to pass the ball and create offense, and and honestly, one of the things that probably Jaron lacked last year was having that ability showcased, which probably ultimately results as having him back this year, because you know, as from him being an NBA prospect, we all expect him to get drafted next year. It's a matter of where he gets drafted. If he doesn't, it's going to be a disappointment. So this whole year for for Cumberland is, where am I going to go? Right, and one of the ways he can show significant improvement for an NBA team would be lead ball handler type responsibilities. So I agree. There's going to be a place for Jaron Cumberland being the primary ball handler on this team, more so than we saw last year. But when it comes to you know the Keith Williams, Zach Harvey, Javin Cumberland, I just don't want to get your hopes up there. Those guys are not going to be lead ball handlers for the team. Fair enough. What I'm hearing from you, though, is keep an eye on Chris McNeil. He's he's part of the future of this of this ball club and seeing where where it can go from an offensive standpoint. So we're on burning questions. We have another well, one. I, what, one quick. Chris McNeil has one season left with the Bearcats. He's going to be a one and done. He has one le- one year of eligibility left, and I assume that's going to be spent playing point guard for the Cincinnati Bearcats. My next burning question. 
and I'm gonna I want to let let you kick this one off as well. In a similar spirit, who's gonna be playing the five for this team? Trey Scott. Trey Scott. Trey Scott's playing the five. Yeah, I don't I don't know if he necessarily has the size. I think he has the athleticism. He also has the shooting ability and and the way the role of the five has evolved in in the game of basketball, it's a lot different. You don't just need to be a seven footer standing in the middle of the paint grabbing the ball. You need to be dynamic. You need to be able to dribble. You need to be able to shoot. You need to be able to pass. You need to be able to pick. And I think Trey Scott has all those tools. And the way he has evolved over the last couple seasons, I think he's going to be a, a pivotal, especially because Nasir Brooks was just a big guy. He took up a he was a big space. He he had an okay inside presence. He wasn't anything crazy special. Um, I think there's a guy we've talked about here uh, with Chris Vote that they brought over from NKU. He had really similar stats to Nasir Brooks. I don't think he's on on par talent wise as a Nasir Brooks, but you know I think Trey Scott has he brings more to the table in terms of trying to play that type of role than someone like a Chris Vote or even Nasir Brooks if he wants to make the full transition. Yeah, Trey Scott, I definitely think we'll see plenty of minutes at the five, especially closing games. He's not necessarily the biggest guy. He's about 6'8", but has has shown a, a grittiness in the past to defend, to rebound. And on the offensive side of the ball, he's going to meet a lot of the, the requirements that John Brannon has historically asked from that position. Last year at NKU, he got a ton of usage uh, similar to to Jaron Cumberland type usage out of his center, who was Drew McDonald. Drew McDonald better shooter than Trey Scott, but both of them have the ability to stretch the court. Really, both of them are, are reliable, experienced sh- players. He was a better shooter than uh, than Trey Scott. Yeah, Drew McDonald was an excellent three point shooter. Excellent. Why the hell didn't he bring him here? Well, unfortunately, Drew Scott had expired his eligibility. He was no longer allowed playing college basketball. God. That sucks. It's, but yeah, I think guy, from just a, for from you a, know, yeah. just for everybody out there, Trey Scott finished 14th in the league for shooting field goal percentage in the American Athletic Conference. That's not a no small feat. I don't think, there's, no I don't think there. there's anybody in America who is as big of a Trey Scott fan as you are. No, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just surprised that the that you're talking about McDonald and being a better shooter than Scott. When Scott, in his own right, is a great shooter. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. He's a good finisher. Good a lot of good his shooter. shots, not, a lot, great. not great. A lot but. of his shots, a lot of his shots come closer to the hoop. Now, at the end of the 2019 season, we did see Scott expand his range a little bit, take a few more three pointers. I'm hoping that with John Brandon bringing in a faster paced style of play, that is in, expected to generate more offense for the team. You would hope he's expanding and developing that skill set for Scott. He's not going to play. Be the only center on the team, though. Um, I suspect that we're probably not even going to start him at center. No, he will not be started I, at center. I agree with that. I, I think he will play that role, but he will not start at center. The best guess at this point would likely be returning player Mamadou Diara, who's going to be a redshirt sophomore this coming Woof. season. It's it's going to be a big step up for him. He averaged just under seven minutes a game last year. And for Bearcat fans who watched a lot of our games, he – he didn't necessarily look ready. Um, struggled on defense. Looked lost at times. He digressed and on offense, from season to season. He digressed. I, I struggle to to say he digressed when he his minutes are so insignificant that 
They, the minutes uh, stayed the same, but the stats went down, and they they weren't anything. I mean, he just. He, well, it's the, tough. It's tough. Tiaro's one of these guys you would hear reports from practice, you know, be it r- reporters who are at the practices, coaches who are at the practices, who's they're raving about his ability to hit shots, his ability to impact the game on the offensive end of, ba- of the of the basketball court. And we just did not see that last year. So if Brandon's able to tap into any of those, you know, practice skills or raw wingspan athleticism that he does have, the raw tools appear to be there. But when I saw him during games, he looked lost on the court. But he's likely going to be our starting center. And so seeing what we can actually get out of him this year is going to be critical and could take us to a whole nother level. Aside from that. We see on Twitter was his last tweet was, uh, don't quit, keep pushing, it's going to pay off. That's from Diara? That's from Diara. I hope, I hope it does pay off. <laughs> Besides that, we're likely going to get contributions from Jay Soroya, who is a transfer from Valparaiso. He played in the, you know, between 15 and 17 minutes a game for them. Not an offensive threat. Pretty poor rebounding rate, too, but he does have a, very, a great inside presence for blocking shots. He's seven feet tall, 240 pounds. You're probably going to see the same type of role. Um, Chris Vogt, the guy you mentioned earlier, he's a, he's a, another seven-footer we brought over from NKU. He's sitting out this coming season due to transfer rules with the NCAA, but I imagine in the future we'll take on a similar role to Soroya. And then the guy, I'm the sleeper of this team that I'm most excited to see is Prince Toyambi, who redshirted last year for the Bearcats. Why is he, he a actually, sleeper? Well, he reclassified from being a 2019 recruit to a 2018 recruit, showed up a year early on campus, and the ex- expectation was he's always going to be going to be redshirting. But raw athleticism, fairly small, probably closer to 6'5 than 6'7, but incredible build, wild strength, and an academic super all smart. conference. Super, super smart. smart. Worked his tail off in his freshman year. Dean's um, list, baby. Spring semester 2019. Early talk is that he's showing some flashes offensively. And when you have the kind of body that this guy has, you're hoping that it can translate to being a great rebounder, being a great uh, defender, and potentially you know having the ability to, to be a switchable type defense when you pair him with Trey Scott. So it's a smaller team, uh, but a team that could really get out there and defend all five positions really well. The last burning question of the year. Uh, we're going to obviously have other questions we learn of as we learn more about the team, how Brandon plans on handling lineups. But the biggest question, and probably the biggest question going into the year, is how is John Brandon, how successful will John Brandon be in implementing his system into this program? I just want to run through some some high-level stats. It's a big culture change. And it's a big style of play change we're taking on when you go from Coach John Brannon, sorry, from Coach Mick Cronin to Coach John Brannon. And guys, There's this this is huge. Very different coaching philosophies and very different results last season. So when comparing the 2018-2019 NKU team to the UC team, here's what you get. Northern Kentucky was 44th in points per game last year. UC was 198th. NKU took 845 three-point attempts. UC took 673. NKU was 11th in the nation in assists per game. 
UC was 182nd. Can we can we talk about that for a second? We can. I want 182nd in assists. We don't have to talk about it. Let's just let that sink in, guys. Yep. 186th in assist. That means just think about offensive efficiency. That's that's so low. Exactly. And lastly, speaking of efficiency, NKU, 26th in the nation in field goal percentage. UC was 239th. Now, those are, the po- <laughs> those are the statistics that are positive in Coach Brandon's favor. And obviously, I want to emphasize those because as UC fans, we have not seen free-flowing, fast-paced, highly successful offense in decades. Honestly, we just don't. It's not our calling card. We have relied heavily on defense over the years. Mick Cronin, Bob Huggins, hard-nosed, tough defensive teams. Somewhat limited in terms of offensive production. But clearly what John Brandon is emphasizing and bringing into this into this uh, university is a culture of fast pace, is a culture of ball movement, is a culture of shooting. And it's going to be interesting to see how he can take a a mix of players he's recruited and players that Mick Cronin recruited and bring that together and changing the style of play for the university. How do you, how do you see this going? This is going to be a wildly entertaining team. I think this is honestly, I'm, I'm very pumped and there's two reasons why one, we have what seven, eight players returning from the Cronin era. So they're going to do, they're, they're not going to forget how to play defense. So this might be the best defensive team we see out of the John Brennan era. And maybe maybe that's wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But I do believe with the carryover from the Cronin era, we're going to get a great def- – we're not going to get a great. We're going to get an okay defensive team because there's going to be the other half of the team that doesn't have the Cronin era defense set into it. So we're going to get a good defensive team from the returning players. But then we're just going to have – I think we're going to get a lot of opportunities for Trey Scott – I think we're going to be able to see him getting some open shots. We're going to see Cumberland getting more open shots. We're just going to be seeing our shooters get more open shots. We're not going to be standing there, standing around with the ball at the point, waiting for picks for people to get open. We're going to be having ball movement. We're going to be looking for efficiency. John Brand's a stats guy, and I'm really excited about what he's going to be able to do with these players that Cronin wasn't able to. Cronin wasn't an efficient coach. He was a defensive coach. We now have an efficient coach. Yeah, we have a coach that preaches ball movement, that preaches uh, putting the ball in the basket. Uh, the, the assist numbers really jumped out at me because what we have is a situation where we're losing Justin Jennifer, a primary ball handler. We're losing Kane Broom, a primary ball handler. You also have Jaron Cumberland on this team. Our team consisted of several players you would expect to, to have decent assist numbers and put us higher than 182nd in the nation, what that tells me is our, our point of emphasis as a team was not on ball movement, was not on often a culture of offense. It was a culture of defense. Now, we are going to see slippage on defense. I know the players likely have been coached. For They've sure. All been, we'll definitely see slippage. We're going to see a slip on defense. It's not the same level of emphasis from Brandon, and, and that can be fine. I'm honestly willing to accept that if we see – significant improvements on the offensive end, which is where we're expecting it. If Brandon brings a team out here, though, that is struggling on offense, looks the same as Cronin, but we're also worse defensively, that's where this turns into a disaster. But that, by all true. accounts, 
That, that's true, but at the same time, I'll uh, you can't really take hot takes here on on ifs and buts. But I would say my first thought is if John Brandon, if he does what he says he's gonna he can do, if he would have been at the helm of this team two years ago, this team doesn't lose to Nevada and we go on because of <laughs> the loss that Virginia took. Uh, we we go on to the Final Four under a John Brannon led team two years ago. Yeah, that's a, a a wild alternate reality, but one that just would. He didn't recruit those players. Mick Cronin recruited those players. He developed the Gary Clarks, Kyle Washington, Jacob Evans. I'm just saying you have the talent, you have the offensive abilities there, and Cronin didn't yeah. take advantage of the offensive talent when this game has switched, especially in college, shortening right. the shot clock. It has gone from a less of a defensive game to more of an offensive game and I think John Brandon's style of play plays more to that than what Cronin was trying to accomplish and you know we'll, we'll see I think we actually have the ability to see what's going to happen because Cronin is going is in UCLA they're going to expect fun teams there they are not going to watch these big brutes playing defense in UCLA that's not what they want out in Tinseltown out here, well, that was it, fine, but not in East, not in L.A. And out here, we don't want that either anymore. That's why we've all been demanding change. We're going to have it, and I think we're going to enjoy it. It's going to be good. For better or worse, we're definitely getting change, and hopefully it's for better. The great news for Brandon is, given how guard-heavy our team is, you know, we have a very robust wing and guard rotation. When's the last he's going to have the, this. He's going to have the tools he needs to play the kind of offense he wants. And when you hear players talk about what they're excited for, they did a great series with the new players, including Micah Adams-Woods with Chris McNeil. And the thing that they both spoke about was we're excited to introduce this style of play to University of Cincinnati Bearcat fans. We are flying up and down the court. We're playing fast. We're making concise and quick decisions with the ball. And that should translate to a much more efficient and productive offense. It'll be great to see how it all how it all rounds out in terms of being an overall winning and successful team throughout the year. Get excited, Bearcat fans. Get excited. At this point, we want to go ahead and have a call-in guest. We have a special a, treat for you, ladies and gentlemen. Spe- a special treat for our, our, our listeners, our dedicated audience. But we're having a, an avid Cincinnati Bearcat fan and former reporter, call into the show, Sam Elliott, former former editor-in-chief of the news record. Sam, mm. how are you? Mm. That feels like another lifetime ago. Never actually editor-in-chief, sports editor. Sorry about that, sir. But sports, I mean, that's, practice, that's more important, honestly. A sports editor is more important. <laughs> why, are, why are you chopping us down at the knees, man? We're, we're trying to build you up. Oh my God! It's an honor and a privilege to be here with you, gentlemen. This year, Sam, we wanted to have you on today, in large part to talk about some of the returning players we have coming to the team. Hummer and I have had a chance to speak about the roster as a whole, some of the biggest questions we have about the roster going into the 2019-2020 season. But speaking about the returning players themselves, let me go ahead and list them to you: Jaron Cumberland, Trey Scott, Keith Williams. Trevor Moore, Mamadou Diara, Prince Toyambi, and then our, our, our walk-ons, our victory cigars, Sam Martin and John Coos. 
Is it What's your first cause? reaction? Great I, question. I honestly don't know. You are the walk-on specialist of this podcast. That is your <laughs> job to know those questions. Sam, what's your first reaction to that to that list of returning players? Um, Jaron Cumberland is on that list. Um, that's is that's he? The, is, he's on that. Just confirming. Jaron Cumberland's on that list. He's the most important player in on this team. He's probably the most important player in the American Athletic Conference. He's the most important player. He's in the, the most American important Athletic player Conference. in college basketball. He top ten. He's all that matters. He's all that matters. Honestly, he's yes. These other guys are great. Well, maybe they're great. Thomas, huge Trey Scott fan. I love. I like Trey Scott. Keith Williams would love to see him take a jump, uh, take a leap. I mean, I know he, you know, given us ten points a game last year, but. Uh, kind of a, I, I don't have a key. I don't have a singular Keith Williams moment memory. I'd love to, I'd love to have a few of those this year, but none of n- Mamadou Diarra in the post, Trevor Moore, uh, whatever. But yeah. if Jaron Cumberland wasn't on this team, none of, none of this matters. Can you imagine us having this conversation right now? If, if Jaron and there, uh, Jaron Cumberland was, you know, in the going to the NBA, and obviously Javen Cumberland wouldn't be here either. I mean, it, it would not how be different a great of day a podcast. To be a fan. How different of a podcast episode is this if if Jaron Cumberland isn't uh, number one on it's, the list? We're no, probably not a tournament team. This podcast probably isn't a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it is it's the it's the probably the Cincy the, State podcast. It's the most important thing about this team is that Jaron Cumberland decided to come back and finish his career with the Bearcats. If that doesn't happen, I love that you mentioned we don't get Javin Cumberland. We instantly lose that recruit. And we're not going to be to know more about we, him. We honestly also. might even lose a guy like Zach Harvey, to be honest. Who knows how much that came into a factor of him coming here to get to play one year, knowing you're going to make the tournament first year. Great call. Right. I mean, how much it's, credibility did, does Jaron Cumberland g- sticking around give to John Brandon? You know yeah, what I mean? And, and what we're talking about, though, are the intangibles. At the end of the day, Cumberland brought 32 and a half minutes a game, but nearly 19 points a game, four rebounds, 3.6 assists. We're talking about a guy who basically ran the offense for the program. We're getting him back and putting him into an offense that's going to be faster, more free-flowing, and more conducive to being a successful offensive player. So in my opinion, it's the make or break for the team. We have Jaron Cumberland back. Great. We're going to make a run to the tournament. And John Brandon has high expectations for his first season. If I'm John Brandon, I'm com- and I'm coming into my first year at a, new, at a new job at the University of Cincinnati, coming off of the Mick Cronin era, knowing the, uh, what do you say, offensive struggles, that the Cronin era, you know, gave us. I'm going into this job. I'm saying, Jaron Cumberland, you are going to feast, my my friend. My if I'm John Brandon, my entire goal. Let's get Jaron Cumberland a, a lottery pick. I mean, give this man the ball. Let him run the offense. He's. I, you don't want him to waste energy bringing the ball up the floor, doing too much. No, he he needs to do it all. I, I'm sorry if 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 he's not on this team, this team's 
marginal at best. Yeah, we're rebuilding. Team, you mean average? He needs to be doing absolutely everything. If I'm John Brandon, yep. I say, here are the keys. Pedal to the metal. Go do you, Jaron Cumberland. Yeah, we're getting you that that second all-time scoring record for the university. Absolutely, I, because John Brandon needs to know that, and he's he's he knows that this that's what the fans want. He knows what the, the you know, what Jaron Cumberland. I don't think he's giving Jaron. I don't think he's giving the, the program keys, I don't think he's in this the moment. Keys. Oh, he's giving him the keys. I think no, I think he's giving the keys, but he has a he has a speed limit on the, on the pedal because he wants him to get the ball around. He needs other players to score. I think he's going to get right. Cumberland's going to get his. Let's be honest, he's going to get his within the framework of John Brandon's system. Cumberland's getting those keys. That ball is running through him on nearly every possession. Yeah. How many assists? So wait, is that, per is that game our answer to our Cumberland burning out. question number one? Who's point guard on this team? Is that now Jaron Cumberland? He's getting the keys. The offense going to run through him. Offense runs through him. He will not technically be our point guard or lead ball handler. That's still going to be Chris McNeil. That's my first. That's my prediction going into the year. Sam, you made mention though. I think of the sec of probably the second most important te- uh, player for this team. If we're going to take it to another level and outperform a ten seed, as per Andy Katz yes. and Ryan Hummer, Keith that's Williams. Keith Williams. <laughs> Keith Williams. Keith 100%. Williams is like. Remember the year that like Dion Dixon went from just being a guy just a guy like to being Deion Dixon like yeah right that's the level that's the like step up level of improvement like that's what I want to see from Keith Williams you know you average 25 minutes a game and you know I think you mentioned the stat 10 points per game he he improved phenomenally over 2017 and 2018. He's one of those guys we look to this year to take that another big leap. So between so, between him, Trey Scott, and Cumberland, I mean, we should each see five points added to their points per game just between those three players. If Keith it's Williams, if to Keith say Williams that, depending, hits 15 I mean, points a game, I'd be so happy. I would. It would be an incredible leap. Um, it's harder to it, the leaps become smaller at the better you get at basketball. But for Keith Williams, the big thing for him last year, it was a massive leap from freshman year to sophomore year. All of a sudden, you saw him making plays in the lane, throwing down on players' heads. But Keith Williams, he played 25 minutes a game. I felt like we would notice him about 12 minutes a game. Exactly. He had a, he had a that is the best yes, way yes, to put yes. that. Yes, yes, Good point. Good point. He would float in and out of the game. You'd wonder in the you know where was Keith Williams in the second half after having a monstrous first half or vice versa. Let's see if Keith Williams can figure out how to sustain that level of play more consistently as he enters his junior season. But I is, kind isn't of that feel that way about Trey Scott. Isn't, yeah, well, isn't that the signature of a guy who averages nine points a game? You don't see them all the time. It's only nine points a game. You might they might score all nine points in one half. They might score it all in five minutes, and then right. They, but they with Keith Williams with Keith Williams, I'm not looking at. I'm not strictly looking at uh, points. He's not a point, just a point production guy. Keith Williams all is right. disruptive on the defensive end, offensive rebounding. Yeah. His athleticism right. is game changing outside you of scoring. Say his, you want to say he's that on rebounding, but. Trey Scott out rebounds him two to one. Trey Scott's a big man. Keith Williams is That's a fine. is a guard slash that. wing. I get that. Uh, but when Trey Scott comes into you... the tournament and goes and takes it up, that you said four four points a game is huge. 
and he goes from that nine points a game. He goes to 13 in the tournament during a tournament. So if that's what Trey Scott can give us throughout the year, that's huge. And somehow it always becomes about Trey Scott with you. We're talking about Keith Williams, a player who's easily the most athletic on the team. And if he finds a way to be more consistently productive and active in our games, he takes our team to a completely different level. And that's my point. And what I'm getting to is that if Keith Williams can have that, where he gets to that point to where he can do the 13, 14 points a game, this team becomes unstoppable when you have Jaron Cumberland, Javen Cumberland, Trey Scott, Keith Williams. If all these four guys click, these are all returning players. We haven't even gotten in to the players that are going to be what they're going to bring in because we don't know. We don't know the intangibles of what they're going to bring, but the guys that we know, if these four guys up their game the way we know they can, this team is going to be incredible. We do agree on that. Sam, you weren't on the line earlier, but I do want to make mention. One of the Hummer, Hummer and I's biggest questions is who is going to assume the role that uh, Nasir Brooks played last year for the Bearcats, mm-hmm. the, the center who filled the lane when we, we can't expect Trey Scott to play center a majority of the minutes this year. He's not big enough to take that, that burden on game in, game out. Do you think Mamadou Diara can fill that void this year? I do, kind of. Real quick, the Trey Scott thing, the way you described Keith Williams, though, kind of also perfectly applies to me for Trey Scott because I look at Trey Scott's uh, stats and info from last year, and honestly, the most surprising one to me is that he started every single game. Boom, baby. I don't remember. I just like don't have these vivid. Keith Williams started thirty-five games, by the way, though. Keith Williams was, or sorry, he played thirty-five games. No, and he started a majority of those. But I think you, this <laughs> boom fine. baby, you just hit Sam with. He was not necessarily saying that in a flattering way toward Trey Scott. The exactly. point is that they played. They Trey played Scott started the every game, but you don't remember Trey Scott in every game last year. Exactly. He played. He played thirty minutes right. versus th- twenty-five minutes. It's it's yes, it's a big difference, but Trey Scott was that you mentioned Keith Williams isn't in there having those moments where you're just like, oh my god, wh- why don't I remember Keith Williams being in there? But you remember Trey Scott. Sam's saying the opposite. I'm Sam saying, the, saying opposite. the opposite. I'm saying it was very surprising to me to read that Trey Scott started every game for us last year because in my mind he was not a automatic good, baby. into the lineup Sneaky guy. Good. I don't know. Mamadou, Mamadou Diara, you want to talk about him? Probably, I do. Let's hear. I want to hear what it. your thoughts are because I, I left last season um, disappointed, even in limited minutes, with how he contributed to the team. You think with his his build, his length, his athleticism, he could find a way to be a, leave a big imprint on the game, especially on the defensive end. And I thought most of the time he looked lost as a player. So how do you expect that he can actually find a be a, a starting type caliber player? Hmm. Does John Brandon think he is a starting type caliber player? And that's a question. Maybe I'm wrong. Does Maybe he doesn't have to be a to the John player. Brandon offense? Like, I don't think John Brandon thinks he's a starting caliber player. Maybe, maybe John Brandon just rides. Maybe John Brandon rides Trey Scott and lets him play down there in the post. Be the big. If you have Trey Scott playing AAC tournament, Trey Scott, he's our big man. If he's not. 
that guy, he's not our big man. Well, Trey Scott's going to be starting every game just like he did last year. There's no doubt about that. That's why he's not as interesting. He's, he's not the fulcrum for the team because well, Trey Scott is going of, to be Trey Scott. Trey, Trey Scott also had the most rebounds of any player uh, every on average per game throughout the tournament. On the Mamadou Diara side, though. Yeah, I know. I'm, the range of I just love Trey Scott. Someone, Guys out there, if you haven't figured this out, I love Trey, me some Trey Scott. <laughs> the he range of outcomes for Mamadou Diara is is so huge, though. You right. can tell me, yeah, you can tell that. me that he doesn't fit in the Brandon offense, and he only plays, I don't know, eight, ten minutes a game. You could also tell me he's the perfect fit for the John Brandon offense, and he's out there every game. First guy off the bench, maybe. I don't know. The range of outcomes is just so wide that I, I don't know how to feel about which is the most likely to happen. I think that's a great way of phrasing it. it. He really is the guy who it would not surprise you no matter what outcome we get. If he played very little, if he had little impact on this team, I think that's a bad sign for us. If you told me that Mamadou Diara played five minutes a game and was basically non-existent for the team, if that happens, I don't like our chances. At, that at means he was the same as he was in 2017. It was the same right. as he was in 2018. Without Nas, without Nasir Brooks ahead of him, though, yeah, well, that's a bad outcome. That. But you also, we told, we were talking earlier that you're talking about John Brandon's teams and what he does, and he's he's center heavy, center focused. He's not opposed to getting the center out there shooting. Is Mama Diara the center that's going to pop out from? Th- from 29 feet away and, and, and pop a jump shot off? Based on what you hear about practice, yeah. He apparently does have a mid-range jump shot. Well, then oh, I guess you guys are right. Warrior? We're going to be surprised warrior? one way or the other. We're gonna we're not going to be surprised if he doesn't play. We're going to be surprised if he plays a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly, do you think John Brannon's offensive system can revive Trevor Moore? Trevor Moore. Mm. I would love to see it. I don't know. I don't know about Trevor Moore. I don't know. It wouldn't have surprised me if he was one of those guys that went into the portal last year. Um, maybe we I wish. Maybe him. we wish he would have. No, uh, maybe the. I don't wish ill will upon Bearcats. Huh? It's not but ill will. will. It's not ill will. Maybe he finds success somewhere else. That's the point. He came in as a recruit, known for his three-point shooting prowess, and for the first two oh. years of the program, what he's shown is. A lack of ability to knock down an outside shot. He averaged less than one three-point make per game. Very limited minutes. He averaged about 11 minutes a game. But that's why I'm wondering, does he even have a role on this team, given how deep we are now with wings and with guards? But he does by... Mick Cronin loved him, and he loved him primarily because of his reliability on the defensive end. I'd love to see if he's going to keep getting... 11 minutes a game, we need more offensive production out of Trevor Moore. And, and let's not forget, he played 34 games. I mean, he played the majority of the games. Like you said, he averaged 11, almost 12 minutes a game. And maybe John Brandon gets more out of him. Maybe John Brandon has – Maybe John Brandon gets more out of these guys because he has a different off, He has a different system. He has a different philosophy on offense. Yeah, we – Ball movement. We'll see. Rhythm. Transition. Not just stand around, wait for something to happen. 
But there's only so many minutes in a game. So it'll be interesting to see who who gets those minutes and who falls to the wayside and either red shirts or plays less of a role than we expect. It's going to be somebody. Not right. everybody's playing big minutes on this team. Well, I'm feeling a bet here uh, since we've been talking about this all night. We got. I'm going to throw this out there. I have Trey Scott. Coomer, you have Keith Williams, from what I'm understanding. Who will average more points per game? Oh, this is amazing. Sam, you're picking the punishment. What are we betting on? For this, oh boy, Keith Williams versus Trey Scott. Points per game. Points per game. Winner take all. Winner take all. Man, straight up. That's a great bet, honestly. Like, I don't. I think I fall on the Keith Williams side. I it. didn't ask you. You fell on. I'm asking, what are we betting on this? You went in on this bet too. You're in. All right. What are we betting on, gentlemen? Hmm. All right. I think the loser of this bet has to record and run a beer mile to which we'll post on our soon to be established Instagram page. Done. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here they are. So here's the official bet. I, Ryan Hummer, bet that Trey Scott will average more points per game than Keith Williams. I love the opposition. Sam Elliott and Zach Coomer. Whoever loses, they have to run the beer mile. We've gone incredibly deep on the team tonight, Hummer. We've gotten extremely excited for the upcoming Midnight Madness event. And soon, all of our speculation becomes analysis. It becomes reaction to real basketball. This is insane. To lineups that we see in here. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Don't you guys feel like that Iowa loss was like a week ago? I, it, I don't want to talk about that anymore. We're past it. You know, we, we missed. Like we mentioned Cronin like twice tonight, and that was already two, two times too many. We're we're on the John Brandon era. What's Bill? Jo- do, what's Bill Belichick say? On to whatever no name team we're going to play first. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to give our guest of honor, Mr. Sam Elliott. The right of helping us sign off our podcast tonight. Sam, prior to last week, we end every podcast dedicating it to a former UC basketball player, oh. one that is near and dear to your heart and you would like to reminisce on for whatever reason. Sam, the floor is yours. Oh my gosh. So Who much are we pressure. honoring tonight? Come on. Wow. What an honor. Reminiscing on random Bearcat basketball players. We've never done this before. I'm joking. We do this all the time. Quadri more. So my dedication going to be one of the early era Mick Cronin, early Mick Cronin era all-stars. Jonathan, John, Will I Am, Williamson. Pour one out from John Williamson. No, don't pour it out. I mean, you know. Let's hear it for John Williamson. This guy. Raise him up for John Williamson. John Williamson. Yes. Raise him up. This dude was a beast. One of the first. He was a part of the first recruiting class from Mick Cronin. Cincinnati State legend. Juco transfer from the local boy from Cincy State. That team was special because of how much of a struggle it was. I was going to say, because of how that first year. That team was awful. 
John Williamson put up like I don't know. He was had to be like double digit points a game though on that team. Yeah, he was a, he was close to you know, like a ten and seven I think, and that team had a lot of talent deficiencies. I would argue that John Williamson was probably besides Deontay Vaughn, he was the one guy from that team that you think might actually have had a role on some of the later era Mick Cronin teams. He certainly a, fit the profile. Take. That's a good take. Certainly pr- fit the profile. But in the meantime, let's give proper that's, due that's to Mr. Great. John hey. Williamson. Real quick, quick Googling shows me. John Williamson playing professional basketball as recently as the 2017-18 season. Where? Where? Israel. Does that count? Counts. You're collecting paychecks? It counts. Fair enough. John Williamson, the Bearcat community, loves and appreciates your contributions to the program. Cheers to John Williamson. This one's to you, buddy.